Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. This is The Look Ahead with Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. Scott Seidenberg here with you. It is The Look Ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on air, S C O T T S O N A I R. The NBA play-in tournament resumes here on Friday with the eight-seeded games. It's going to be the Hawks against the Cavaliers in Cleveland for the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference and the right to face the Miami Heat in the first round. Uh, That game is at 7.30 Eastern time with the Hawks as a two-point favorite on the road. And in the Western Conference at 10 o'clock Eastern time, the Pelicans at the Clippers in L.A. The Clippers are a four-point favorite. The winner of this game will take on the one-seed Phoenix Suns. I like chalk <laughs> here um, on, on Friday. I really like the Hawks. That's the first one. And I know that there's some talk about Jarrett Allen um, trying to give it a go in this game. I think that changes some things. Um, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski said that Allen considers him 50-50. The pain in his fractured left middle finger is still bothering him. Uh, Allen missed the last 18 games of the regular season. Um, he also did not play in the play-in game against the Brooklyn Nets. I do think that if he plays, he's not going to be 100%, and I don't necessarily know the impact that he's going to have on the game. The in The impact that he could have or the impact that just his presence might have is because John Collins is not going to play. Uh, The big man for the Hawks has been dealing with a right foot sprain and plantar fascia, and as well as a right finger sprain, and he is formally listed as out. It is not surprising. Bogdan Bogdanovich is questionable with a left ankle sprain, uh, Lou Williams ruled out with lower back discomfort. I think Jared Allen's obviously the biggest story. John Collins not being available is possibly a story as well. I just think that the Hawks right now are playing on another level. And if it's not just Trey Young, if they get the contributions from DeAndre, from, uh, from yeah, if they get... DeAndre Hunter, who had, what do you have, 22 in the the game against the Hornets. But defensively, they got solid efforts from everybody. Hunter, Capella, um, 
you know, Bogdanovich, uh, TLC, and defensively, this is not a team that is known for their defense, but they were able to hold a Charlotte team that scores a lot to just 103 points. If they collectively play defense like that again and are able to limit what Cleveland can do offensively, which, again, is not much. I mean, Darius Garland's the guy. But if you can limit Garland and no one else is really stepping up, Karis LeVert's the other scorer I guess you'd worry about, Evan Mobley can 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 only do so much. I think Capella will defend him well. I think this Hawks team is just playing too good right now. I really do. And yes, there could be a little bit of concern because of how bad the Hawks have been on the road this season. But a lot of that happened earlier in the year where they were dealing with players out with COVID and some injuries. And I think that some of their woes on the road have been resolved here as we progress through the end of the regular season. I like Atlanta. The fact of the matter is, in a game like this, I'm siding with the best player on the floor. And the best player on the floor is Trey Young. And big-time players show up in big-time moments. And we saw it last year in the postseason with Trey Young stepping up in big moments. And I think he continues that here in this game on Friday night. I'm not concerned with them being on the road. I think the line is accurate because I think if this game was in Atlanta, we'd probably see a five-point spread, which is the situation that we saw where they were, what, five-point favorites in the game against uh, the Hornets. So I'm going with Atlanta to win this game and to cover. As far as the Western Conference game goes, the Pelicans are on another level right now. CJ McCollum has added so much to this team. There's a lot to like. And Brandon Ingram came back. There was concern about his injuries. Brandon Ingram comes back and contributes um, for them in their game, in their win over the Spurs. The thing is, this isn't the Spurs that they're playing. They were not going to lose that game to San Antonio. The Clippers are a veteran team. They are a talented team. They're a well-coached team. They have leadership, and they have experience. And I think that Paul George and, you know, Reggie Jackson, and I just think this team is going to do enough defensively to win this game. 
I love the way that they can slow you down, force this into a half-court game, bring the pace to a screeching halt. It's the reason why, and maybe I'm falling into a little bit of a trap here, because I'll be honest. I thought the Clippers would beat the Timberwolves. And a lot of the reasoning that I'm giving now why I'm picking the Clippers over the Pelicans, or at least thinking the Clippers are going to beat the Pelicans, it's the same reasoning that I had for picking the Clippers over the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are a team that plays with, like, so much pace. And I'm like, Clippers are going to slow them down. Clippers are going to make this half-court game. Clippers aren't going to allow Minnesota to get out in transition. They had a lead, a double-digit lead, and it went bye-bye. And the Timberwolves had a big run, and they were able to take the lead and never relinquish it. How do the Clippers now learn from that or adjust from that against a, I don't want to say similar, but kind of similar, young athletic team in New Orleans. I think being at home helps, for sure. It's easy to get up for a play-in game situation, a winner go home, single elimination type game. It's easy to get up for that at home in front of your fans. Um, Doing it on the road, different story. I'm just so impressed with C.J. McCollum. I'm so impressed with this New Orleans team. And with their, excuse me, starting five, since they, they made an adjustment right around the All-Star break, and the five-man unit that they rolled out here against the Spurs was really like the best incarnation of their five-man rotation. Ingram, Jones, Valanchunas, Hayes, C.J. McCollum. We haven't seen it a lot because Ingram's been out, obviously. But when they play together, and I think it was uh, our very own Jonathan Von Tobel who, who brought this up about the Pelicans, is they were 7-3 and three in the only 10 games that they played with that starting five. And now with everyone being somewhat healthy and together, this is what you're seeing, and it worked out in the first game here in the play-in tournament, and it could work out in the second game in the play-in tournament against the Clippers. I want to see if this line moves. It hasn't. It stayed at four. Maybe it moves as we get closer and closer to tip-off on Friday night. But if it gets any higher, I might have to favor the Pelicans. If it gets any lower, I got to go with the Clippers. Because I do think the Clippers win, but I think it's going to be a close game that comes down to the final possession. I'm Scott Sadenberg. You can hit me up on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Coming up next, we'll get back into Major League Baseball. Maury Brown from Forbes will join me to talk about baseball and what he has noticed in the early part here of the Major League Baseball season. 
I'm Scott Satterberg. Hit me up on Twitter at ScottSonAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. back here with you. It's the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. We're about six, seven games. Uh, we're eight days into the major league baseball season. And here to talk all things baseball, Maury Brown, who covers the sport for Forbes, been around baseball for a long time. Not calling you old Maury, just calling you experienced when it comes to the sport. I appreciate you giving us a few minutes here on VSIN. Uh, what's been some of your biggest takeaways through the first eight days of this 2022 season? Well, the first thing is the lockout, I think, really affected some of the pitchers. I mean, I think the Kershaw situation with him having a perfect game and being pulled and him saying as much that it affected that outcome, I think is something. I mean, we saw, you know, obviously Jacob DeBrom, we have Max Scherzer. Um, so, of course, I think that some of the pitchers are being treated with kid gloves right now. And, you know, we're thinking about this in the long term, right? We're eight days into this thing. It's a very long season. So certainly that. And then I think that you start to look at um, some surprising teams very early. Um, the AL Central has been, you know, kind of different looking at how uh, the now Guardians are doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Twins with Byron Buxton, um, Steve Kwan. So, look, I mean. Um, it, it's again, very early, you know, it's hard to read too much into how things are in the standings right now. I wouldn't place anything in it. Um, I remember at one point that the pirates were up the all-star break <laughs> and proceeded to plummet in the standings in the second half. So yeah, there's a lot of runway left here. Is it too early to tell the impact of the humidors across baseball? I mean, that was something that I was actually very intrigued by when it was announced that humidors would now be used in all 30 ballparks across the league. And I wondered if it would have an impact on the totals of games. Now, unders have led the way early on here, but there could be a multitude of reasons for that. It's obviously early in the season. The ball doesn't travel in some of the cold weather, but is it a little too early to tell? And how intrigued are you by uh, the humidor factor? Well, right now, I don't think that, I mean, it's such a small sample size. Yep. I mean, it would be really difficult to really determine it. And you mentioned it. I mean, look, there have been games going on with a lot of rain. I, was, I, I watch and wind, you know, watching the White Sox and the Mariners play today. And it was mm. just incredible with the wind, right? I think it's too early to tell. The thing that, that I, you know, has been going on for a while now is the ball, right? The ball is juicy different ball the, you know, the league tried to, you know, I don't know if they were hit it or whether they weren't up with it on their quality control, but at first it was flying out of the ballpark. Then it wasn't, you know, and they, they, they realized they have to get this thing under control and they don't want to have people like me talking about it on your radio station. So look, I think that once we get this, you know, dialed down a little bit, it will be interesting to see what happens with it and to see whether we have more consistency with it. It, the thing that I think that you would really want to see is that we're not talking about it at all. 
that you would see more of an even keel to how things are. Nobody's going, hey, is the ball going out of the park more than it should? Is it staying in when it shouldn't? You know, and I think that that's a big thing. Look, Michael Kay is going to constantly be calling balls at the warning track that he thinks are going out. I mean, there's Michael Kay. But there have been other instances where you're just like, man, in any of the ballparks, that thing would be flying out of here. Is there something up? So, again, I think it's too early. But pretty soon, you know, as it starts to warm up June, maybe, I think we start to look at that a little more closely. Do you commend Major League Baseball for trying to uh, make adjustments as much as they are? I mean, look, we saw them ban – uh, the sticky stuff, right, or or take a stronger stance against foreign substances. And this year they've added an extra rosin bag behind the mound. So if you're watching a the game, there's two different types of rosin bags for these pitchers to try and aid them into getting some sort of grip on these baseballs. Do you like the way that the league is trying to, you know, I guess adjust on the fly here? Yeah, I do and I don't. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. The humidors were supposed to be around – uh, not last season, but the season before. And they did their own, you know, they had their own uh, investigation of it. You know, they had a bunch of panel of scientists look at the ball and they made some recommendations and they didn't really implement many of those. Um, the sticky stuff I think is interesting. You know, I was surprised. I thought maybe we would see something closer to what we have seen um, in Korea and and seen in spring training a few years ago where they tried to have, use a pre-tack ball. And Buck Schulter talked about it. He said that they thought that they should have it. But it was interesting. I hated, I absolutely hated that they implemented it mid-season. Sure. And yep. that, I didn't like that because it just threw numbers off. And you had guys like Garrett Cole who were like, you know, they were trying to, they were clearly using it and they were having to adjust. But at the end of the season, there were a lot of guys that just seemed fine. And it didn't affect some of them. So I still think that we're, we need a full season to get an idea of how this is going to be. I thought it was interesting that umpires now are examining the fingers of pitchers, right, which is the one place you just couldn't hide that stuff. They were checking, you know, the hat. They were checking gloves. They were checking belts. They weren't checking fingers, and now they're looking at that. So there, was, there may have been some reasoning behind that, you know. But, again, I, you know, if the idea is that pitchers have got an, an exceptional advantage above hitters, right, we're seeing more Ks. We're seeing hitting for average down. And the idea is to get more balls in play. Well, giving, you know, an additional advantage to pitchers should not be in the equation. So, yeah, I, I, they had to do something about it. I mean, they're doing it for the reasons that they're selfish. They want to see offense up. They want to see more action on the field. They want to see pace improve. And so that's certainly one way to approach it and, you know, enforce the rules that should have been there in the first place. Next season, the shift will be banned. Are you in favor? I'm in favor of it in terms of not the radical shift. Yeah, if they ever say they're going to get rid of the shift entirely, I'll be dead set against it. You know, I, I again, I, I look at it as if you're trying to improve offense. The real question is going to be the data that we get out of this season. I really do. I mean, I want to. I'm saying that I'm, I approve of it in the idea of the concept of it, but we're going to see how things spray. And we're going to look at where, you know, where people are positioned. And if you can sit there and take that data and go look back at it and go, you know what? Radical shifts didn't really, it's not going to change much of anything. Then don't make changes for change sake. I get what Rob Manford is trying to do. I'm more, you know, if you ask me about the pitch clock, I'd be like, yeah, bring it on. I've seen it in action. It really works. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure about the shift in and of itself. But again, 
if the rat, if the data really supports it, then go for it. And, you know, if it's one of those things that's going to improve offense and we're going to get to move and have pace increase, great. I hate it. I, I, I think defense is a part of the game and offense is a part of the game as well. Play wherever you want. I'm going to hit it wherever I want. I just, I just think that banning, you know, it's like, it's like the NBA or basketball adjusting, saying, you know, you can't play a zone defense. It's like, all right, you know, it's like, I, I hate it, Maury. I'm like, if I want to play uh, an extra fielder on the right side, all it means is I'm opening up the entire left side for the batter. So if the batter can't take advantage of it, that's his fault, not mine. So yeah, well, the, there's some data though that shows that that's a little more difficult. I'm pretty of course, talk about this. When you start to see sliders approaching 100 miles an hour, yeah, exactly. You know, you're, you're not hitting it the other way if it's inside. Yeah, at that it, point, yeah. If it's <laughs> if it's it's getting to the point now where batters are having, you know, if they can hit it, just hit it the other way. Now we did see, you know, bunting is starting to become a thing where bunting in, into where the shift isn't great. Mm-hmm. If it improves, bunt, I I me I don't like seeing bunts all the time, especially with two outs. I think it's sacrilege. But the idea of yeah, put it where they ain't great. And I think that once again, if the shift is there, but is not, you know, again, if it isn't, you know, if it's radical shifts, if I'm going to load a bunch of guys, you know, out in one position of the field, out in the outfield, then I think, you know, maybe over there, we'll certainly get to shift though. What's your opinion on the pitch comm system? You know, I think that it's, it's just going to need more time. I, I really do. I, you know, obviously the one thing that's changed that I, I don't think hardly anybody talks about is obviously there's a big difference between Aaron judge and Jose Altuve, right? Mm-hmm. So how am I adjusting it? So it used to be, you would say, Hey, how tall are you? And that was what was on your, basically your stat or your baseball card. They don't do that anymore. They actually measure them. And so you need to have that. If you're going to have a system for that. Um, I, you know, I want to see it more in action. I think it'll be something that is going to require some elements to it. But if you're putting the K zone on television and we've all gotten used to that, look, it's bad. And, you know, when you're seeing that there's obviously some that are real, you know, stinkers outside the zone or stuff that's in the zone that's being called balls, then yeah, then let's try something. I, again, I hope that the thing here that baseball does, right, and I've heard this repeatedly, but it hasn't happened yet, is that we'll try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll go back to the way things are. Now, nobody's gone back yet. You know, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So if the, if the technology is not there, then don't implement it because sure. I know if that's how that thing's going to work. Once it's there, it's there. Maury, I appreciate the time and the conversation. Could talk baseball for hours with you, man. Thank you so much. Hope to do it again soon. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Thanks so much for having me. There he is. Maury Brown covering uh, the sport of baseball for Forbes. Great conversation. Uh, I've been around the game for a while now. So uh, I think that there's a lot that Major League Baseball has done or is still trying to do to improve the game. Uh, some things I wouldn't touch. This is The Look Ahead with me, Scott Seidenberg, here on v the sports betting network. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. The NFL Draft is right here in Las Vegas. We're going to have extensive coverage. We got mock drafts from Matt Humans. Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM, is going to give his draft analysis. 
We have our very own host, Mike Pritchard, who is a first-round pick, and Sean King, Super Bowl-winning champ, going to give you insights that you can bet on. Plus, legendary sports broadcaster and the voice of the Las Vegas Raiders, Brent Musburger, will give his draft best bets in our NFL Draft Betting Guide. Sign up today to get full access to VSIN through the NFL Draft for only $19 at vsin.com slash spring. Scott Sattenberg back here with you. It's the look ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Uh, Friday's Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, so every player will be wearing number 42. Uh, that's going to be pretty cool. And, uh, you know, the last player to wear number 42 was Mariano Rivera. He was grandfathered in. Last player before Rivera or simultaneously with Rivera, Mo Vaughn, wore number 42. Robinson Cano made his number 24 because he's actually named after Jackie Robinson, so he couldn't get 42, so he made his number 24. But uh, it's a special moment every single year. I love what Major League Baseball does. I love the fact that every player wears number 42. Um, Yeah, there are some people that will probably tweet out something about how um, this is uh, all for jersey sales and and whatnot. A lot of the money that they make, it all goes to causes and everything like that anyway. But, um, you know, to remember the legacy of Jackie Robinson is just so important. This dude was... Not just so important in Major League Baseball. One of the greatest athletes of all time. Literally. Football star, track star, UCLA was like, this dude is one of the greatest athletes in the history of athletes. Uh, So we will remember Jackie Robinson and honor his legacy. Jackie Robinson Day, uh, April 15th here, across Major League Baseball. Should be uh, a lot of fun. And there's going to be a lot of fun games It's going to be some fun series getting started, some series continuing. Here's the board on Friday. Diamondbacks and Mets will begin their series. Chris Bassett goes against Zach Davies. Chris Bassett was fantastic in his first start of the season against the Nationals. Uh, Six shutout innings. He struck out eight batters in that game. So just a great start for him. He is looking to uh, repeat that performance here against the Diamondbacks at City Field. The Red Sox will take on the Twins. Nick Pavetta goes against Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan uh, got the start on the opening day. Now, he is a top prospect for the Minnesota Twins. Hasn't made a lot of Major League Baseball starts. I think it's only six now. Uh, but in his first outing, only went four innings against the Mariners, gave up two runs. Uh, On a home run, he did walk four, which was concerning, but uh, there is a lot of hope for this kid, one of their top prospects. Nick Pavetta, meanwhile, in his first start going up against the Yankees, gave up four runs, two home runs in five and two-thirds innings. The Nationals and Pirates will play game two of their series. We were all over the Pirates here in game one. Uh, It's going to be Mitch Keller against Eric Fetty. Uh, Keller got tagged in his first outing, gave up four runs in six innings. Uh, Elsewhere, the Phillies and Marlins, game two of their series. The Marlins taking game one. Pablo Lopez goes for Miami, and uh, Lopez pitched well, allowing just one run in five innings in his first start of the season against the Giants. And um, Zach Eflin goes for the Phillies, and you want to talk about a guy who was – 
could in his first start. Eflin allowed uh, only two hits in his first four innings of the season against the Oakland A's. Yankees and Orioles will begin a set in Baltimore. Jordan Montgomery against Jordan Lyles. Uh, Montgomery gave up a couple of runs in his first outing. Three runs on four hits in three and a third innings. And as for Jordan Lyles, well, he gave up five runs on seven hits in five innings. This game is in Baltimore where the Yankees absolutely dominate. Um, (laughs) They... uh, They love playing at Camden Yards. It was um, not last season or two seasons ago that they they had won, I think it was 17 of the 19 games that they played against the Orioles. Um, Last season, the Yankees... 2021, they went 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So 11 and 2, 3, 4. It was a little more even than it was in, uh, oh, 20. Yeah, from 2019 to 2020, it was absolutely a domination. The Yankees won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 straight games. They won against the Baltimore Orioles. It was a little ridiculous there. Um, But at Camden Yards, the Yankees have a really, really good record. Glaber Torres especially loves hitting in Camden Yards. Um, They did change the dimensions. Okay, they um, moved left field back. So the reason why is because there's a lot of home runs in Camden Yards. And what they did to kind of, I guess, make it a little more um, competitive was they did move the wall back 27 feet in left field, and they also raised the height of the wall to 13 feet. The hope is that um, a, the hope is that there's going to be less home runs hit and, um Against them, really. I mean, it's going to hurt for them, but against them as well. Um, Let's see. 2019 and 2021. Camden Yards, two of the top five seasons in Major League Baseball history in home runs. The most ever in a season was 1999 in Coors Field. 303 home runs. 2019 Camden Yards, 289 home runs. 2019 Minute Maid Park, 282. 2021 Camden Yards, 277. So two of the top four seasons of the most home runs hit in a single 
ballpark have been in Camden Yards. So we'll see the adjustment that it has made so far this season. The Orioles are one and two at home. They won their home opener against the Brewers 2-0, and then they lost 5-4 and 4-2. In the uh, 2-0 game, there was no home runs hit. In the 5-4 game, there was a Nick Mullins home run, but that was to right field. And in the 4-2 loss, there was a no home runs hit. So, there's only been one homer hit in Camden Yards this season. What's going to be the case, though, once the Yankees are in town? And Jordan Lyles is a right-handed pitcher, which means that, yes, the Yankees have boppers from the right side of the plate in Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. But from the left side is where their home runs might come here against Jordan Lyles. Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo. I didn't say Joey Gallo. I said Joey Gallo. Uh, I'm curious to see how the Yankees lefties do against the uh, Jordan Lyles here going for the Orioles. That's something that I want to pay attention to. The home runs at Camden Yards. Uh, Elsewhere, A's against the Blue Jays. Dalton Jeffries against Ross Stripling. Giants against the Guardians, Zach Plezak against Carlos Rodon. The Guardians, it's their home opener, and they have been impressive this season. So have the Giants. I want to dive deeper into this matchup coming up next, as well as go through the rest of this board here for Friday uh, and see if we can settle in on a best bet to extend our play of the day record to 8-1 and one and hopefully win our fifth play of the day in a row. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. We will continue the Major League Baseball conversation coming up next right here on The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Baseball predictions made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete free for cash all season. Enter weekly prediction pools to fight for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. Blue Moon made brighter. 21 and over only, terms and conditions, and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Drink responsibly. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. It's the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. Let's continue to go down this Major League Baseball board here for Friday. Uh, the A's have actually gotten off to a very surprising start this season, and I don't think a lot of people expected them to take um, three or four from the Tampa Bay Rays, but Oakland's playing well. And now they match up uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays, the Jays who just split a series with the New York Yankees. Uh, Ross Stripling goes for Toronto. 
Dalton Jeffries for the A's. Dalton Jeffries in his first start against Philadelphia, five shutout innings. That was very surprising. I don't think that's going to be the case here against Toronto. Giants and Guardians in Cleveland. It's the home opener for Cleveland, and the Guardians have looked really good this season. They uh, just uh, had a two-game sweep of the Reds. They took two of four from the Royals, and now they match up with a very good team in the Giants. Zach Plesak goes in his first start, five and two-thirds shutout innings against the Royals, and Rodon for the Giants he allowed just one run on three hits in five innings against the Marlins. But the most impressive part about Carlos Rodon's start was that he struck out 12 batters. So the Guardians' offense has really been on fire to start the season. Look at these. Look at the run production. So they lo- they've won four straight after dropping the first two games of the year. The first two games of the year where they only scored, uh, what was it, two, one run. 17 runs in a win against the Royals. 10 runs, 10 runs, and 7 runs. This team is hitting. This team is scoring. Um, So, very curious. Total in this one is 8.5, and and the Giants are favored. They are minus 150. The Rays will look to bounce back after uh, losing 3 of 4 to the Oakland A's. They head to Chicago to take on the White Sox. Dylan Cease against Drew Rasmussen. And the White Sox are a minus 140 favorite in that one total of eight and a half. Angels at the Rangers. Reed Detmers against Matt Bush. Uh, Matt Bush in um, his first start. He uh, This is a bullpen day, so he hasn't really started a game yet. But he has thrown one inning. Uh, he's thrown two innings this season. And he has only allowed, he's allowed one run on two hits. So, um Looks like it's going to be a bullpen day for the Rangers. Reed Detmers, meanwhile, for the Angels, was a guy who I was actually looking. Did I fade him in his last start? They faced the Astros. He lost. Uh, they lost thirteen to six. He allowed two runs on three hits in four innings. Uh, Detmers, you know, a lot of expectations for him this season. Tigers against the Royals. Tariq Skubal goes against Brad Keller. Brad Keller, who in his first start of the season. Six shutout innings against the aforementioned Guardians, who were uh, who have the offense just seems to be clicking on all cylinders now. The KC minus one thirty in that one total of eight and a half. Cardinals take on the Brewers second game of this series. Milwaukee won in their home opener. Uh, Brandon Woodruff beat Adam Wainwright in this one. It's Miles Michaelis against Freddie Peralta, and Milwaukee is minus one sixty total of eight and a half. Cubs will take on the Rockies, and Marcus Stroman goes for Chicago against Herman Marquez. Marquez in his first start, seven innings, only one run allowed. And Marcus Stroman, meanwhile, went five innings, only allowed one run. Total in this game is at 10. Between these two pitchers, I actually don't hate an under maybe an under in the first five. I thought the Cubs looked really good today in their 5-2 win. I could see a first five under with Marcus Stroman and Herman Marquez. The Braves take on the Padres in San Diego. Padres minus 120. Kyle Wright goes for the Braves. Kyle Wright in uh, his first action, six shutout innings against Cincinnati. 
it'll be Mackenzie Gore making his first start for San Diego. San Diego just put uh, Blake Snell on the IL, and Mackenzie Gore is going to make his major league debut. Gore has a fastball in the upper 90s. He's got a changeup and a slider. And in 12 innings during spring training, he struck out 16 batters, walked just three. He had one start for AAA El Paso. He struck out seven batters in five near-perfect innings. So, a lot of hype and intrigue around Mackenzie Gore making his Major League debut. Astros will take on the Mariners. Jake Odorizzi against Marco Gonzalez. Houston, minus 130, total of 8.5. Mariners might be a um, a swagger uh, contestant, as uh, you know, our, our very own Dave Tooley likes to do those swagger plays. You know, they drop the first two games of their series against the White Sox, and then they bounce back, and they pick up a win, avoiding the sweep, and now they return home uh, for their home opener. I like backing teams in their home opener. So maybe they feel good about themselves. They play the first seven games of the season away at Minnesota and then at Chicago. And now they will play in T-Mobile Park. Uh, And Marco Gonzalez in his first start of the year wasn't good. Six runs allowed. Two of them earned because they made a bunch of errors uh, in just two innings of work against the Twins. And Jake Odorizzi, in his first start for the Astros, he allowed two runs on six hits in four innings. So that is the action that you'll get going in that one. And then the Dodgers and the Reds, game two of this uh, set here. The Dodgers utilized a huge eighth inning to score six runs. It's like the second time this season they've had a big eighth inning. And not only win the game, but cover one and a half on the run line, which they were up 3-0. It looked like they were going to cover this run line. Then the Reds chip away. Reds get a home run to tie the game, make it 3-3, and then the Dodgers with the explosion in the eighth inning to cover that run line now. Tony Gonsolin gets the start against Vladimir Gutierrez. Uh, Gutierrez, in his first start, he uh, gave up two runs on six hits in four and a third. And Tony Gonsolin, uh, he gave up one run on five hits in three innings against the Rockies. Dodgers are the heaviest favorite on the board at minus 245. I got to be honest, I don't see anything jumping out to me on this schedule. The Mets might be the move. Mets are minus 220. I could be looking at a first five play here on the Mets. Diamondbacks to start the season. Beat the Padres. Then lost four straight games. In which they scored eight runs total in those four games. They got shut out in one game. They scored two in one game. They scored one in one game. And they scored five. Uh, now they just beat the Astros three to two, so they are coming off of a win. The Mets, meanwhile, five and two to start the year. They just took two of three from Philly after dropping. They should have swept them. They dropped the first game of that series, having a four nothing lead going into the eighth inning, and they lose 
and because the Phillies had a five-run eighth inning. So you got to think now the Mets are feeling pretty good about themselves. And um, I think Edwin Diaz uh, is going to be available for the Mets now because he was on the bereavement list and didn't pitch um, for them. So he, let's see. Trying to think, yeah, he should be back and should be available for the Mets. It's their home opener. Chris Bassett was fantastic for them in his first start of the season. I actually think backing the Mets in the first five innings is probably the move. It's, to me, it might be it. Yeah, and Edwin Diaz is available because he pitched for the Mets the other night uh, against Philadelphia and got the save. Um, Yeah, Mets' first five is what I'm leaning towards right now. Backing Chris Bassett, a little bit of a fade here of the Diamondbacks. Zach Davies gave up two runs on four hits in his first start. And Chris Bassett was fantastic. That's the lead. I'll tweet out the official play coming up on Friday at Scott's On Air. This is The Look Ahead here on VCN, the Sports Betting Network. If you... If you... 